Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So, remember how I mentioned as I started the last episode that I wasn't feeling all that great? Well, it turns out there was a very good reason for that. I got the Rona, or rather, the Rona got me. I'm still feeling the last effects, and I still tested positive as of today, but I'm feeling much, much better, and was told by a uh, pilot friend of mine uh, who works for major airline that uh, I'm going to be sloughing off these virus cells maybe until the 4th of July, so the fact that I'm still testing positive if I'm not having uh, symptoms means that... uh, not well, essentially, not to worry about it. I'm going to mask it up but uh, when I'm around other people. But otherwise, I think I'm going to get back to business. And that includes this. I still have the fogged head a little bit, a little bit of sinus pressure, scratchy throat now and then. But I don't have the chills, achy joints, or desire to take a nap every couple of hours the way I did, uh, certainly over the weekend. Now, me not feeling well hasn't kept events in the NBA from happening or my thoughts on them from percolating. So, while this podcast will be about Game 5 and what to take away from it, I may dip into one of a few other items as well. And I promise you that I will get another uh, podcast or episode out before Game 6. Because there's a lot to get to. Anthony Davis's admission that he hasn't touched a ball since early April or the question if Steph Curry is underappreciated. And that one I can't wait to get to because of who joined the chorus in singing loudly that, yes, he is underappreciated. We'll get to that. Game five is the culmination of why I picked the Warriors to win this series. Even though the Celtics have demonstrated that they have all the physical advantages they need to win it. They're just 
at too much of a mental disadvantage to utilize those physical advantages. Now, I reject the idea that has often been floated that the missing ingredient is a true point guard. That's the only thing that the Celtics are missing. Look, the Miami Heat played most of the postseason without a true point guard. Got all the way to the conference finals and took the Celtics to seven games, even though they're no match uh, when it comes to overall talent, especially offensively compared to the Celtics. And yet they were right there toe-to-toe. And no one pointed to that as the reason that they didn't make it to the finals. If not having a true point guard was really that much of an issue for Boston, they wouldn't have made it this far. And let's be clear. This is simply a way to point the finger at Marcus Smart, who always seems to be the go-to scapegoat goat, rather than the real problem, which is Jason Tatum. Now, admittedly, I've long been a fan of Smart's game, even though I'm not blind to his shortcomings. I don't think he can be your best player on a championship team, but he can be your emotional leader. He can be your Draymond Green. And I will take someone whose mistakes are from being over-aggressive than someone who makes mistakes because they get tentative. I'll take that all day, every day. The over-aggressor versus the timid one. Because learning when to dial it back is infinitely easier than learning when and how to ramp it up. Or having the need to convince that player that it's time to ramp it up. Tatum is exhibit A when it comes to that. It may not be as apparent during the regular season because teams aren't as exact in their game plan as they are in the playoffs. And it may not have been apparent against the Brooklyn Nets in the first round because they simply weren't capable of putting together a defensive game plan based on precise execution. Even against the Bucks, Coach Mike Budenholzer's reluctance to make changes allowed the Celtics to get comfortable with whatever he threw at them. But against the Heat and the Warriors, we've seen what throwing different looks at Tatum can do. How he has a hard time deciphering when to go and when not to go. It almost looks as if he makes his decision to be aggressive based on how long it's been since he tried to be. Or whether there's a chorus out there suggesting it's time for Tatum to step up. He shouldn't need anybody to make that decision for him or convince him that it's time for him to step up or shame him into stepping up. He should know when it's time. And and I don't mean that like once people say, "Hey, you got to step up." Like that may not be the time. Don't let the public pressure or public opinion that shouldn't be determining how Tatum plays. And yet I can't help but feel as if that's some of what's going on. What I get from Smart is that he's trying to fit in his aggression around Tatum and Jalen Brown. Give them a chance to be the fire starters. And if they're struggling or reluctant, then step in. And I'd say that's an infinitely harder challenge than Tatum has, who has to study how the Warriors are playing him, anticipate what else they may throw at him, and prepare for it. I get the full sense that Tatum has a green light on when he wants to go. And I just never get the sense 
he goes into a game with a plan. And no, that's not on Ime Odoka to tell him. Tatum has to read situations accordingly. Because Odoka can't anticipate what kind of look the Warriors are going to give Tatum on any given possession and then relay to him how he should attack it. It's like a quarterback after the snap. The coach can call a play or call in a play for a particular down in defense, but once the ball is snapped, the quarterback has to read what's going on and react accordingly. In fact, sometimes he has to make that read at the line of scrimmage right before the snap. So, uh, generally, Smart makes the right read as far as where to attack. He just doesn't always execute the pass or shot. One of the biggest reasons I look past his mistakes is because he also makes plays out of nothing, where instincts and hustle take over. And Tatum rarely, if ever, produces those kind of plays. Besides, It's not Smart who just set the all-time record for turnovers in a postseason. That would be Tatum with 95, now putting him one ahead of LeBron James, who set the record in 2018 while playing only 22 games. Tatum has already played 23. The difference being LeBron also produced 198 assists. Tatum has 141 for a assist turnover ratio of about one and a half to one. Smarts is more than two to one. Now, the standard for point guard play is three to one, or at least used to be, but two to one is acceptable, especially since so much of the offense is initiated by Tatum. And one and a half to one particularly looking at the kind of turnovers Tatum had in Game 5 to set the record, is it's not good enough. And that's not to mention the good-as-a-turnover layups Tatum has routinely missed every single game while then falling out of bounds or stopping to complain about a no-call while the Warriors go racing the other way on a 5-on-4 break. It's maddening that at this stage, with a championship within reach, with the series tied 2-2, that Tatum still hasn't figured that out. Now, because of COVID, I didn't attend Game 5, which is good because I'm not sure I could have stomached hearing Tatum say afterward, we have to be better. We are hard to beat when we don't turn the ball over, and we're easy to beat when we do turn it over. That is not news. And that begets the question, so why do you continue to turn it over? And why do you continue to commit the kind of turnovers that Tatum committed? And maybe it shouldn't at this point in my career, but it still amazes me to have flaws in a player's game that weren't apparent previously exposed in the finals. For Tatum, it's the fact that he's not ready to shoot the ball when he catches it. Like, ever. I saw this video of, I guess it's his his son, Deuce. uh, Very, very young. Two, three years old, maybe. And he was practicing a jab step. In fact, that was the whole kind of amusing, cute element. Is that Deuce, as his son is uh, referred to, has already developed a a mean jab step. And I'm thinking, 
uh, don't teach him the jab step because I can understand why he would develop the jab step first because that's what Tatum does over and or his dad does over and over and over instead of at times simply catch it, rise up, let it go. How many times have you ever seen the ball swung to Tatum and he simply catches and shoots it? Now, there are times where he may not put the ball on the floor, but he almost always has to gather, jab step, and then rise up to shoot it. Now, I remember years ago, Greg Popovich taught this to Richard Jefferson because Richard Jefferson had somewhat of the same problem. And Greg Popovich spent a summer with Richard Jefferson. Every time he was on the court, he basically had to move around the court in somewhat of a crouch to teach him that he could catch the ball and and just immediately rise up into a shot rather than catch it, gather, or dip, and then fire. In the NBA, guys are too quick, too long. And if you're a good shooter, as Jason Tatum is, you need to be able to get that thing off quickly. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, all the great shooters have that ability. Jason Tatum does not. And I have to think he's gotten away with it because he doesn't face a steady diet of primary defenders as long and or athletic as Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. But now he's getting his comeuppance at the worst possible time. Besides, defenders during the regular season also aren't going to be as adamant about making him uncomfortable every time he catches the ball. In any case... I counted a number of times in Game 5 when the ball was swung to Tatum for an open corner three at a time when they desperately needed it. But by the time he was ready to shoot, the defender on that side had recovered and was up in his chest, and now he had to jab step just to get the clearance to get the shot. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's also become apparent how straight up Tatum plays at both ends of the floor, which for someone who's 6'8 and 210 pounds, you simply can't afford to do it. They're not strong enough. For reference, Nick Stauskas, old Sauce Castillo, a nickname he got, uh, I believe it was in Sacramento. Um, he went on to play with the Blazers, but I think he got the nickname in Sacramento, if I'm not mistaken. In any case, he's a Boston Celtic reserve guard now. And he's listed as 6'6 and only 5 pounds lighter than Tatum. I can't always trust the listings when it comes to size and weight. But my feeling is looking at the way Tatum plays, he's either got to learn to play with better balance or get stronger or both. Kostowskis is not a beefcake by any stretch. And maybe that's why Tatum struggles so much offensively when teams get physical with him why he appears to get knocked around and off balance as much as he does. The fact that decision-making is at the heart of the Celtics' issues would make it seem that they are fixable, even on as short a timeline as before 
Game 6. You would think that. And theoretically, they could. Except that their issues are not a revelation. Which means if they understood the urgency of fixing them and never regressing, it would have already happened. The Celtics have known all postseason that taking care of the ball is paramount to winning. And yet, in an all-important Game 5, they turned the ball over 18 times. And by now, you've seen the stat. When they turn the ball over 15 times or less in the postseason, they're 13-2. and 16 times or more, they're 1-7. This, the 18 in turnovers in Game 5, came after turning it over 16 times to lose Game 4. And Tatum contributed six of those turnovers. Contributed another four in Game 5. Now granted, it's not as as, as easy as simply saying, whatever you do, don't lose the ball. Because you have to try to score, which requires moving the ball, which means risking possession of it. It's just a matter of being smart in how you're moving it, how you're positioning your body, where you're passing it, the crispness of it, the timing of it. Pay attention to those little details. Uh, Granted, the Warriors are part of the equation. They've done a great job of figuring out just how physical the referees will let them be, which turns out to be quite physical relative to the regular season. And then they've baited both Tatum and Brown into space and swarmed them. Turnovers are going to happen. I would appreciate it if Tatum and Brown were more aware of the spaces that they were dribbling into and anticipating when the help is going to come and create problems for them. But all that said, Warriors have done a decent job of disguising it and coming hard. The key is eliminating the turnovers that don't have to happen. Like the pass Tatum floated behind Robert Williams five feet above the three-point line leading to an easy steal and fast break bucket. Compounded by Williams having to hustle back to challenge the bucket and not only failing to do so, but landing awkwardly on his already injured knee. That is adding injury to error. Someone else's injury, thanks to your error. And this all happened in the first few minutes of the game when you're trying to establish your presence, your tempo, your team's mindset. So where do the Celtics go from here? I don't see them having some sort of conversion in time to salvage this series. And much like the Phoenix Suns, they should understand that trips to the finals should not be treated frivolously or with the mindset that this was our training run and we'll complete the mission next time. It all depends on the bones of your team and their age as to whether you get that second run or not. If you have a cornerstone superstar like a Giannis or Tim Duncan or LeBron or Kobe and that superstar is in his prime and you have an owner hungry to win and willing to spend a GM capable of identifying and acquiring the pieces to surround that superstar and a coach that is willing to set his own standard and challenge his players to meet it then there's a chance at translating a run stop just short and using that to feed a successful run. 
The Suns don't have several of those pieces, which is why their prospects are a lot bleaker, say, than the Milwaukee Bucks, who do. The Suns don't have an owner who spends. They can't even be sure how much longer Robert Sarver is going to be their owner in light of the league investigation into how he has run the franchise. Devin Booker is the right age to be the building block, but I've yet to be convinced he has the game or the temperament to be the leader of a championship team. Chris Paul is on the verge of aging out. If this was Chris Paul, say, six years ago, I might feel different. The combination of Paul and Booker could get it done. The greatest hope they have is the combination of GM James Jones and head coach Monty Williams. They fit the bill. I believe they're capable of composing and coaching a title-winning team. But they've got work to do in order to get those other pieces. The Bucks are a completely different story. Giannis is locked up. GM John Horst clearly knows what he's doing. And owners Mark Lazary and Wes Edens are willing to spare no expense. Small market returns be damned. I do have questions about my friend Mike Budenholzer and his reluctance to make changes. But they've won a championship already with him, so obviously he's not something that is going to stand in their way. Now let's look at the Celtics. Big spending ownership? They've never been known for that. Cornerstone superstar. I do not believe so. As of right now, if I could keep only one, I'd keep Jalen Brown over Jason Tatum. For the same reason I mentioned in talking about Tatum and Smart's type of errors. Brown tries to do too much. Tatum is hesitant at the wrong times. You can see, you can literally see when he has crises in confidence. In any case, I don't see either one of them as a number one, not on a championship team. What makes this Celtics team so unique is that they're built like the Detroit Pistons. Detroit Pistons didn't really have a bona fide number one. Chauncey Billups had the mindset and the willingness, and he was efficient. It's probably the edge that he had over Marcus Smart. But other than that, very similar. They just had tremendous talent. Rasheed Wallace, talent-wise, should have been that guy. He just, after three possessions, if he took if he took shots on three possessions, you could guarantee that he was not going to take it on the fourth. He had a team mindset that almost undermined his own individual talent. So far, so good with Brad Stevens as your GM. As I said earlier, he put together the most talented roster in this series. It's just proved not to be the most savvy or, and clearly, not the most experienced when it comes to the NBA Finals. We dismissed that when the series started, the value or the importance of that between these two teams. I think it was 123 games of Finals experience that the Warriors had and the Celtics had exactly zero. But because the Celtics won game one, everybody thought that was an overblown stat. Well... It's not necessarily at the beginning, but at the end, in closing a series or putting a stranglehold on it, that experience shows itself. Now, if they, the Celtics, have anything going for them, it's that as I look around the Eastern Conference, 
I don't see a team that has all the components of a championship-winning team either. The teams that have the superstar, Brooklyn and Philadelphia, either don't have the coach or the GM, or both. The GMs are the, the teams that have the coach and the GM, Miami, Toronto, don't have the superstar. And yes, I'm saying Jimmy Butler can't get you there. I love Jimmy and would want him on my team any day. And he has grown tremendously as a team leader. But he's nearing the end of his prime. And he's the ultimate overachiever. He's doing as much as he can with what he's got. And it just happens to be a brick shy of being the best player on a championship team. So maybe the Celtics can run it back next season. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And for those of you who are thinking, wait a minute, why are you talking about next season already? We still have this series to finish. This series is over. The Celtics are not coming back. I know they've done it. They've put themselves in this position before. It's why I said at the very beginning, they can't afford to approach this the way they did with the Bucks without Chris Middleton and with Mike Budendolzer making his curious decisions. They can't approach it like they did with the Miami Heat, who weren't close to having as much firepower as the Golden State Warriors. Not Essentially not having a whole lot of firepower, being reduced to Jimmy Butler and Max Struess. Like they, could, they got away with it as opposed to they can succeed with it. I knew that because of the Warriors' mindset and approach and talent, that what they were able to do against Miami in particular, they were not going to get away with against Golden State. And yet they've done the exact same thing. They've turned the ball over. They have, they've walked into games. They've given themselves an advantage in the series and then given it right back. But with all that, maybe, maybe the Celtics can run it back next season. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But they're going to have to get very clear on how they approach end-of-game situations. Because simply putting the ball in Tatum's hands or allowing Tatum to take the ball in his hands and look to make a play is not going to get it done. Not unless he devotes the next nine months correcting the flaws that I mentioned. There are no workarounds for those. Any team they meet in the finals will be able to target them and exploit them, which would leave them in the same place they are now. Really, really good. Just not good enough. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. In the next episode, before we get into Game 6, I am going to answer the question, is Steph Curry underappreciated? And I'm going to take a long look, accusatory look, at some of those who have said loud and long that yes, he is. I don't necessarily disagree with them. I just have an issue with who is now saying it. Because they weren't always. All that in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.